<coughs> As uh, indicated uh, last night, you know, this morning you know, we shall you know, talk about uh, further aspects related to the you know, sitting meditation, to the walking meditation, and, uh, and then also with regard to you know, the general activities. And uh, you know, then uh, we'll cover you know, a few points concerning the interview, and uh, you know, then at the end there will be just some you know, general remarks. Now. Yesterday you know, we discussed uh, the, um, the sitting posture, how to sit, then uh, also um, uh, a few things about the breathing, and uh, then uh, you know, there was mention of the primary object uh, being the rising, falling movement of uh, the abdomen. Now. The rising falling movement of the abdomen is the you know, primary object and so, you know, this does not mean that it is the one and only object to be observed but rather it is kind of the anchor to which uh, or, you know, the, the object that we start uh, sitting uh, with and so, uh, then you know, when some other you know, predominant object occurs in the body or in the mind and you know, then we shift our attention to this uh, new predominant an object, and uh, then you know, we observe it and we try to know its uh, nature. Once that object has uh, disappeared, you know, then you know, we return our attention you know, back to you know, the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. Now, with regard uh, to uh, any predominant uh, object, you know, there are three uh, aspects that uh, are worth uh, considering, you know, both during the sitting itself as well as uh, for you know, the interview, namely occurrence of the object, number two, the labeling plus the observation of the object, and uh, number three, you know, knowing the nature of uh, the object. Now, these uh, three aspects will be explained one by one, and uh, by occurrence of an object is meant just the arising of some predominant object. And so uh, there's nothing much you have to you know, do in this regard. An object will arise all by itself. Now, uh, when it comes to the second aspect, uh, especially you know, the labeling and uh, you know, the you know, observation, well, your input is certainly required, you know, your you know, effort uh, is uh, necessary. And so, so when a predominant uh, object has uh, a reason, you know, then you, you know, try to uh, label it uh, you know, with you know, a soft, gentle, mental label. It does not mean you know, that you have to uh, you know, say these labels out loud. Uh, no, if you were to do this, your neighbor, you know, might, you know, your neighbors might disagree. And. Uh, and uh, then if everyone would be doing this, then you know, we would have a hum of, uh, you know, some uh, labeling uh, going on. Now, um, 
In terms of you know, the labeling, we try you know, to find you know, the most simple you know, word that certainly comes to mind. And it's really important to know, you know that uh, you, know, you don't need to become experts in you know, labeling. This meditation practice is not about certainly finding the right words, but uh, it is certainly much more about a proper observation of you know, the respective object and uh, knowing its uh, nature. And so, yeah, so uh, at the beginning of uh, you know, one's meditation practice, it might be you know, at times a little bit difficult to find you know, the right uh, label, the right uh, word for you know, some you know, sensation or you know, mental object. Yeah, but certainly you know, with time and certain you know, practice, gradually you will become you know, more and more familiar you know, with these certain you know, labels, and gradually you will also accumulate a so-called uh, you know, well vocabulary of descriptive terms. And then later on you don't have to think much about this anymore. Right away you'll know how to label. Now the labeling helps a meditator to clarify for himself or herself what the object actually is under observation. So there's a huge difference between, let's say, tension and then stiffness and hardness. All three of these are sensations, yes, but they're different sensations. And so it's good to know the differences. And keep in mind that when it comes to objects of the external world, we are in the habit of giving names to them. So when we see a tree, we say this is a tree. When we see a bird, we say or know this is a bird. When we see some human being coming, then again the mind will recognize this and it will know this is a human being. The same thing goes in to differentiate between the different human beings. We, every one has a name and thus we know human beings according to their respective names. Now, when once we have uh, labeled an object, yeah, then um, yeah, then we go on yeah, with its observation. But maybe still one more aspect uh, yeah, with regards uh, to yeah, the labeling. Sometimes yeah, meditators certainly uh, think that uh, when observing an object like uh, you know, the rising movement of the abdomen, they need to yeah, label it in a machine type, machine gun type uh, labeling. So. Something like rising, 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 falling, 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 pain, 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 pain etc. Now, uh, if you were to do this, yeah, then yeah, would this support your observation and uh, knowing the nature of the object or not? Uh, not at all. So please don't go for this kind of uh, you know, you know, labeling. Just one or two gentle you know, labels. And are you know, for in the case of the rising you know, movement and falling movement are quite enough. So you know, how, you know, the way it happens is the rising occurs, you label it once you know, as sudden you know, rising.
eyes, and then you'll have plenty of time to observe it and to know its nature. Same thing goes for the fawning. Now, if you have, if an object arises like a pain, and the pain lasts for a longer period of time, then the procedure would be okay. You label it as pain, and then you observe it, and you try to know its nature. After a couple of seconds, again, you label it as pain, and then again you observe it. You know its nature, and then after a while, again. Uh, you label it and so on and so forth, and uh, if the object then uh, eventually uh, disappears, uh, then uh, resume the observation of your rise and fall. Now, far more important uh, than the labeling is the actual observation of an object, and uh, this is uh, the work, or this is where uh, mindfulness uh, comes in, and. Now, when an object has arisen, then we try to be with this object from its very beginning through its middle, through or to its very end. Now, at the very beginning of a retreat, this might not necessarily be possible, and it might well be that a meditator can observe clearly only the middle portion of an object, and then gradually, maybe later on. Also, you know, the ending portion, and then you know, again you know, later on, you know, the beginning you know, phase of an object you know, to you know, become certain you know, predominant. So, see how uh, it uh, goes. And so, when observing, you know, when observing an object, well, then you want to you know, note you know, this object uh, as, or, sorry, you want to observe it as carefully as possible. You, know, you, you know, want to your you know, mindfulness wants to sink in the object, and certainly it wants to keep the you know, object in view. It you know, wants to be face to face with you know, the uh, object. And in this also, you want to be with the object as quickly as possible and as thoroughly as possible. You want to grasp and cover the object as best as possible. These are all some aspects of mindfulness. Now, um, then when it comes to you know, the knowing aspect, you try to you know the nature of the object. So you know, then you know, what is your, or how is your object manifesting in terms of, let's say, some physical sensation? First of all, what sensation is it? Is it hardness? Is it stiffness? Is it pressure? Is it heat? Is it cold? Is it warm? And, uh, or various kinds of movements, etc., etc. And then in terms of mental objects, well, what particular kind of mental object is it? Is it a particular mental state? Or maybe just some general vague condition? And then does this particular object, does it last for a longer period of time without changing? Or is it changing, etc., etc. Now, 
The Venerable Sayadaw Pandit of Vatna Burma has certainly clearly stated among the three you know, things, namely, or three aspects, the occurrence of an object, its uh, labeling and uh, its observation, and certainly uh, knowing its nature, well, the most important aspect is knowing the nature of uh, the object. Now, if at times you miss to label an object, that's okay. Then at least make sure that you can observe it properly and that you know its nature. Now, better than this certainly would be to label an object to observe it and to observe it. And even better than this would be to label an object and then to observe it properly and certainly to know its uh, nature. Now, those certain three aspects of occurrence, labeling plus observation, and certainly then knowing the nature of an object, these are three aspects you can apply to any predominant object. And you can check for yourself, okay, which object has occurred, and certainly then furthermore, am I really labeling this object or not? Am I really observing this object or not? And what am I knowing about this object? If you find that you're not labeling, okay, then maybe it's time to resume the labeling. If you find that you're not observing properly and your mind instead is somewhere else, then it might be a good idea to put more effort into the observation itself. And if you find that you are labeling and observing but you're not really knowing anything about the object, well, then check what is happening and certainly then trying you know, to uh, make the necessary uh, adjustments so that you clearly know something about uh, you know, the respective predominant object. Now, last night, uh, briefly, I mentioned about certain uh, wandering mind, uh, which is a very common uh, um, phenomenon among, not just among meditators, among all, uh, uh, all human beings. And uh, even though we may be holding a PhD in this or that particular field, yet uh, uh, we may find in our meditation practice that our mind is wandering or not wandering. Huh? Mary? It is wandering. And uh, um, even though we may be holding a PhD uh, and uh, we're masters of, uh, great masters of logical thinking, yet uh, when we actually uh, sit in uh, meditation, then we find that quite a number of our thoughts are uh, very far from uh, being logically connected one uh, with uh, the other. So. And sometimes there's a lot of nonsense coming up in the mind uh, in the form of uh, you know, wondering you know, thoughts and certain, you know, sometimes you know, there's random thinking going on. Sometimes it may be you know, topic-centered thinking, at other times it could be obsessive you know, thinking. Uh, and uh, you know, then you know, on occasion you know, the wondering mind may be quite uh, you know, reduced to a minimum. Now. When it comes to your you know, wandering mind, then, and if it is suddenly really predominant, then take it as an object, label it accordingly, and 
Satya, then you know, observe it and try to know its nature. Now, at first you might want to you know, be somewhat specific in your you know, labeling. So if you happen to, or if the mind is planning, then just label this as planning and then observe and know. Or if you find your mind is going off into the past and it's remembering all sorts of events that happened 45 years ago and which seem so important right now, then, then label this as remembering and or you might label it as getting lost in memories and then observe and know. And later on, you might certainly discover that certainly in the end, whether it's planning or remembering or analyzing or reflecting or fantasizing or imagining, etc., it all boils down to one thing, namely wandering mind. There you go, or thoughts, uh, or you know, thinking. So, uh, very simple. And so, you know, then you know, we can just use this general label as certain you know, thinking, you know, or thoughts, and certainly you know, this then is quite certain you know, enough. Now, um, there's more to you know, say about the you know, thinking, and so, you know, in particular, you know, the thinking has you know, one you know, rather you know, well difficult tendency. One thought easily leads to another thought. There you go. Another thought, and then does it stop there? No, it does not stop there. And uh, it leads to a third thought and a fourth thought, you know, thought and uh, eventually we say it has become a train of thoughts, like one of those long freight trains with 32 uh, carriages. And uh, you know, after a while we no longer see the connection with our, between our first uh, thought and uh, the last uh, thought. Now, um, be careful with this tendency of the mind to go on thinking in terms of associative thinking to think about one thought and then this leading to another and yet another thought. Now, still some more with regard to thinking. For the most part, human beings tend to get lost in the content of their thoughts. And so, uh, rather than being, uh, rather than paying attention to the fact that a thought has arisen, just the phenomenon of the existence of a thought, the attention goes to the content of the thought. And this has a tendency of pulling us along. And so, as the pasta meditators, our you know, um, goal—not our goal, but our um, uh, approach—should you know, be one of uh, not paying much attention to the content, you know, but rather you know, just. And to be aware and to note you know, that you know, yet once again you know, thinking you know, has occurred or is occurring and you know, then we're mindful of this and you know, then we know you know, this. 
and so when we you know, get gradually get more and more detached you know, from the content of our you know, thoughts, then you know, we, you know, it will be less likely you know, that we get hooked into you know, these certain you know, thoughts. So if you find that you're you know, caught up in the content of you know, of a thought, you know, then you know, try to detach yourself from you know, this or try to disentangle yourself from this and you know, step back to some extent. Now, last night I also mentioned about pains and aches and the four major aspects of observing pains and aches were given, such as knowing the quality of a pain, then its intensity, and then furthermore its location and duration. Now, um, Usually, especially if, you know, for you know, beginning meditators, when you know, pain arises, oh, we get all you know, uh, agitated and uh, we see a pain as a friend or as an enemy. Hmm? As an enemy, yes. And does it always have to be like this? Not really. And so, you know, so. When a pain arises, then try to embrace it, see it as your friend, and then without any aversion, without developing any aversion towards it, just label it, observe it, and try to know its nature and stay with it. Now, especially for beginning meditators, when a major pain has arisen, there is a tendency of quickly changing one's sitting posture in order to get rid of this pain. So when I change my posture, oh, pain is gone. So I found a solution to these pains. But in, this is not really a good solution because it's depriving you of really knowing something about the nature of this pain. So, please, when some pain arises, don't change your posture right away, but rather stay with it for a time, and then with much patience observe it, and change your posture only when a pain becomes excruciating. Um, and you decide certainly when this certain point is certainly reached, and certainly then you know, do feel free to change your posture, but please do so you know, slowly and uh, mindfully. Now, if certainly we were to change our posture every time you know, a tiny little pain has arisen uh, in you know, the body, then you know, what will happen? Huh? Yeah, we, then we will keep changing our posture. Yes, is correct. And so, you know, changing once will mean that we will feel tempted to change a second time, a third time, a fourth time, and so on. And so, you know, this will be very you know, positive for the development of concentration. Uh, not at all. And so, 
And this will make it really difficult uh, to um, develop concentration. Now, please don't certainly believe everything I say and certainly check for yourself at least once and certainly experiment and certainly then you will then find, find out. Now, an aspect that was not mentioned last night owing to the general tiredness was an important aspect was the continuity of mindfulness. Now, see, mindfulness is probably the most vital or the most pivotal factor for the development of one's meditation practice. And this certain particular aspect cannot be over-stressed. Um, meditators oftentimes uh, kind of uh, underestimate uh, this continuity of mindfulness. They think, oh, well, you know, if I practice in a you know, leisurely manner, you know, then I'll be quite all right and uh, I'll have uh, you know, big success in the meditation practice. Not so. And uh, if one's mindfulness is somewhat uh, discontinuous, kind of a uh, stop-and-go uh, affair, an on-and-off affair, then the overall mindfulness will be relatively weak, and this means that your observing power is weak, and this in turn means uh, that your knowledge about the object will also be uh, weak, and uh, your overall you know, development and practice will be slow. And so this cannot certainly be what we want. And so hence, please, from the very beginning of our retreat here, work on this continuity of your mindfulness. Now, coming onto a retreat means that right away we are, well, we possess certain perfect continuity of mindfulness, or not, Lisa? Uh, not at all. So this continuity of mindfulness has to be developed. And we just have to know at the beginning it will be somewhat uh, poor, it will be pretty discontinuous, and uh, uh, then we don't get certain, we don't judge ourselves certainly for this, ah, what a poor meditator I am. Again, I've missed to you know, you know, observe the object in a continuous manner. Not like this, but rather you know, we you know, our understanding of ourselves and also forgiving and then we try again with much patience and if we keep doing this moment after moment hour by hour day by day gradually our mindfulness becomes a really powerful mental tool and you will see that your mindfulness becomes extremely sharp and also extremely quick and as a result of this then the mind can pick many details. Now, mindfulness itself is not the only mental factor that we need for our meditation practice. Can you think of other relevant mental factors apart from the mindfulness? Effort, yes. Effort, what else? Concentration, yes, I agree. And? Energy, effort, yes. Trust. Me? Trust. Trust, uh, general trust in the practice, faith in the practice, yes, good. 
well, you know, what about an object, uh, let's say the object is here, our object of observation is here, and uh, our mind instead is aiming in that direction. So, we need one-pointedness, which is concentration, but before this, we even we need proper aiming. We need to aim our, we need to aim, we need to turn our mind in the right direction. And so, so aiming uh, is certainly necessary, and certainly it's something that needs to be developed over time, and then gradually the mind gets the point. Now, this aiming in the Pali scriptural language is known as Vitaka, and it is certainly the Venerable Sainte Upandita, be ones of Burma, who likes to, or who stresses this particular aspect of Vitaka in the context of the Satipatthana meditation practice. Oftentimes, Vitaka, or Vitaka is well known among Samatha meditation meditators as one of the Janic factors. Actually, the first one. Now, um, as uh, at least two of you have uh, mentioned uh, a few moments ago, mindfulness needs to be accompanied not only by aiming, but also by energy or effort. And uh, this impani is known as viriya. And uh, what this effort is doing, in in a real practical sense, it is pushing or propelling your observing mind towards the object of observation. So it's that force that gets your your observing mind to travel all the the path to the object itself. Now, vitaka, viriya, need to be need to accompany the mindfulness, and then when those two mental factors are there, then the mind will be in close contact with the object, and it will be rubbing the object. So it will be well, very close to the object, and this is what is necessary. And uh, this particular aspect, uh, then again, is uh, one mental factor known as vichara in the Pali scriptural language. In the context of the samatha practice, it is the second. No, investigation, you call, can call it like Vitaka Vichara, it's a, a sustained application of the mind on the object. And so. So, mindfulness, then accompanied by by this aiming, accompanied by effort or energy or effort, and then as a result of this rubbing is there, then what happens, the the observing mindset will fall onto the object again and again, and with this then gradually, the mindset will be fixed to the object, it will be glued, sticking to the object of observation and certainly with this the mind certainly then the respective mental factors become unified conglomerated and certainly hence we then speak of concentration or one pointedness and so when all of these certain factors are present then the natural outcome of this will be what? Well, concentration we've mentioned already, one-pointedness. 
And what follows? That, uh, what wisdom? There you go. So intuitive further wisdom will uh, arise. Now, maybe this much in terms of uh, you know, the sitting meditation. Now, a few you know, further aspects related to, to you know, the you know, walking meditation. First of all, you know, the uh, walking meditation is as important as the sitting meditation, so please do not you know, neglect your you know, walking practice. And so, especially at the beginning of a you know, retreat, meditators are encouraged to well, spend, first of all, to alternate sitting with walking meditation and then to spend an equal amount of time on walking meditation and on sitting meditation. So let's say if you sit for one hour, then try to do your walking meditation also for an hour and then again you sit for an hour and you again walk for one hour. Later on, when your practice is deepening and certain you feel you know, the you know, sitting meditation is getting, or more is happening in your you know, sitting meditation than in the walking meditation, you know, then you could um, increase your you know, sitting a little bit. And there might be you know, other times you know, when you know, your you know, walking you know, practice is stronger and something you want to do you know, more you know, walking meditation, then go for it. So. Just a very general guideline with regard to, not just with regard to the walking, but also sitting and mindfulness in general activities, is uh, it tends to be really good to follow the natural development in one's meditation practice. So you know, just listen to you know, what happens in your you know, practice. Get a feel for you know, what uh, is happening, what the new development is and certainly then uh, go uh, with this. But of course, observe certain uh, limits. And so if at times you're not quite sure uh, how to proceed, well then uh, communicate uh, with uh, either Marcia or uh, with me. Now, the you know, three forms of uh, you know, walking meditation were you know, well theoretically explained yesterday, or at least described yesterday, and I will you know, demonstrate them uh, in a few moments. Uh, but before this, let me you know, mention uh, a few other points that are you know, related to you know, the walking meditation. Now, first of all, when you do the walking meditation, please you know, keep your you know, posture upright and so, you know, when you, you, know, you know, do your walking meditation there's no need to you know, look uh, to check whether your toes are still there or not and so, you know, if you keep doing this you know, then you, know, you will end up with what? With a stiff neck, there you go. And so, you know, so meditation practice is not meant you know, to uh, lead to any um, well uh, impairment of one's uh, health. Now, uh, then. 
when you choose a path for your you know, walking meditation, you know, then choose one you know, that is uh, maybe you know, five to you know, ten meters long, and so, you know, then you know, without any you know, unusual you know, goal or, or without wanting, wanting to reach any you know, particular you know, destination, you, know, you simply mindfully you know, walk up and down you know, this uh, path. Now, sometimes it uh, happens that, especially in places where, or in centers where there's very little space for walking meditation, well, meditator, some meditators, they crisscross, or their path crisscrosses with the path of other meditators. So they tend to take much delight in crossing the path of every other meditator who is doing walking meditation. And the other meditators will like this a lot or not. <laughs> they don't like it for the most part. And so, now, interesting you know, to note in this connection is you know, that um, you know, when once we've chosen a certain path, then we consider this as what? My path. And to dare not come or dare not cross my path. <laughs> And so, you know, just be aware of this, and so we're all guests here at the Synergy Ranch, and so, you know, we can take you know, this path you know, along. And so, to avoid social friction, choose a place where you're not going to interfere with others and then do your walking meditation as well and in a rather focused manner and also in a meticulous manner. Now, last night I mentioned already formal walking meditation is not the same as leisurely or leisure you know, leisure, you know, leisure walking. And leisure you know, walking we can do any time outside you know, of a retreat, but you know, this kind of uh, you know, formal you know, walking you know, meditation is something rather you know, rather intense and you know, an activity you know, that is designed to, you know, well, in the end bring about you know, the arising of intuitive you know, wisdom. Now, not just wisdom, but also as an extension of maintaining continuity of mindfulness. See, in a sitting you're trying really hard to make your mindfulness continuous, is that correct? And then, once you get up from a sitting, then do you want to throw your mindfulness all away in one shot? Obviously not. So you've put in much energy into developing a certain continuity of mindfulness during the sitting. And so this then you want to carry over into your walking meditation and you want to maintain it at least, if not improve it even further. And the continuity of mindfulness developed during a walking session, this in turn you then want to bring into your uh, next sitting meditation. And in this way, then 
the sitting meditation complements the walking meditation and the, the walking meditation will then contribute to the next sitting meditation now um, Kindly try to do you know, your you know, walking the meditation as slowly as possible, and so you will discover that the slower you do your walking meditation, the more details will you be able to you know, pick up. And so kind of a microcosm of footness sensations will arise in the feet or uh, in uh, the legs. Now, uh, racing around, you, know, you will you know, make it really difficult for yourself you know, to you know, know what is happening on a very subtle level. Now, during the walking meditation, the restraint of the senses is important, highly important, and so and as much as we can, we try not to look around. And even if we hear some loud sound or noise, then we just briefly label as hearing. And we don't even turn the head around and don't look at this object unless it is something threatening. And one way of intensifying you know, the you know, walking you know, meditation would be you know, to either in one's room or outside you know, to uh, find oneself some empty wall where no one else uh, is sitting or you know, you know, standing and so, you know, then you know, to support oneself you know, support oneself against the wall by you know, with, uh, with the help of a hand you close your eyes and you do your walking meditation really really slowly and so, so with closed eyes you know, there will be less certain sense impressions bombarding you know, the mind and so um, in this certain way it's much easier you know, to concentrate and you'll see it really helps certain you know, to pick up tiny little details uh, in you know, your uh, or while you're lifting moving and lowering and placing you know, the foot so if you like to give it a try and certainly see you know, what happens now now, uh, let me demonstrate the you know, three forms of uh, walking uh, meditation. And so, so they will start, uh, first of all, with the standing, so upright uh, posture. And uh, then kindly keep your uh, hands in front of the body or uh, behind. And so, uh, preferably, uh, don't walk around uh, like this. Now, sometimes uh, people uh, do this. Now, this actually, when you walk around uh, like this, then what do you think? Is mindfulness of arm movements there or not? Huh? It's not there. And so, you know, so keep your you know, arms either before or behind so, you know, before you know, you know, the body or, or in front of the body or you know, behind it. So then, um, as uh, for the uh, first kind of uh, walking meditation, when the left uh, leg moves, we label as left step, and uh, then uh, when the right uh, leg moves, we label as right uh, step, and uh, then again, left uh, step, right uh, step, um, and then again, uh, left uh, step, right step. 
And so, you know, when you do your, your walking meditation, you fix your gaze uh, at so, you know, a point maybe you know, three to four meters in front of uh, you. And like I said, you know, there's no need you know, to uh, keep looking at uh, your toes. Now, when you get certain to you know, the end of the lane and certain you know, the body is standing, then you know, take the standing posture as an object, label this as standing, and you know, then you know, observe you know, the predominant sensations that occur you know, in you know, the feet, and you know, then try to know, you know the nature of you know, those certain sensations. Then, when you when turning, shoot an intent to turn you know, be obvious okay you know, then include this in your you know, you know, labeling and, and observation if not certainly you know, then you know, just focus on you know, the turning process so um, in, in an ideal case it would be something like this intending to turn and then followed by the turning so the turning process so you label this as you know, turning and again you know, turning turning and then you know, while standing, you know, again you label as standing, and so, you know, then you, know, you observe the different sensations occurring during you know, the standing posture. Now, for you know, the, the second kind of you know, walking meditation, we divide one step into two parts: lifting and lowering, placing of the foot. And so, you know, then we want to do the you know, second kind of walking meditation really fast, or you know, you know, somewhat slower. Huh? Slower. And so, you know, then, you know, do we want to take big, long steps like you know, this, or uh, that maybe you know, like um, you know, like a stork? Well, uh, neither of those. <laughs> Neither of those, but rather we want to take short steps. And the foot really doesn't need to be lifted off the ground too much. And so, um, and so one more point, in the walking meditation, especially during the second and third kind of walking meditation, you want to focus your attention on the move on the foot which is moving, and not the other one that remains static on the ground. At first, for the first two, three days, this might be somewhat complicated, and you might say during the interviews, oh, there's so much happening in the other foot, yet try to bring your attention back to the foot which is moving. Otherwise, your attention will be going back and forth and that kind of makes it difficult to concentrate. So, now, at the beginning of the lifting process, we label as lifting and then slowly, slowly, the heel will come off the ground and then we know the different sensations that are involved. And then as the foot is lifting vertically, we know, let's say, some heaviness, at first some, maybe some lightness, and then some heaviness, gravitational force which is pulling the foot downward. 
Now, and then comes the lowering process, so we briefly label this as lowering, and so, you know, then while the lowering is going on, you know, we try to know the different sensations, maybe some tingling sensations in the foot, and so, you know, then you know, again a pull you know, downward, and then you know, highly interesting comes you know, the moment when you know, the you know, ball, you know, when the heel of the foot you know, touches you know, the ground. So at that point, please pay really close certain attention. And don't do it just in an you know, automatic or you know, mechanical you know, way. And so when your foot first touches the ground, you know, do you experience hardness or softness? Do you experience certain roughness or smoothness? Is there heat there or cold or you know, warmth, etc., etc.? And and then um, as you know, your you know, heel is being you know, placed on you know, the ground, it might happen that some pressure arises. It might happen you know, that the pressure you know, gradually spreads out over you know, the entire heel, over the entire you know, foot, and so on. And then you know, just observe and know all of this. Now, uh, the same thing for the right foot, and so we label as lifting, and so, you know, then we pay attention to the lifting process. So the the heel which is coming off the ground, and certainly so, you know, with this, you know, some uh, you know, some release of pressure might be you know, observed and you know, known, and then you know, maybe there's some stretching sensation you know, in you know, along the, you know, the middle of you know, the sole, and certainly so, you know, then. Now, there might be you know, some hardness, maybe a little bit of hardness in the ball of the foot, and so, you know, then we're ready for takeoff. And so, you know, then at that point, at first, there's maybe you know, some pressure, some weight on the toes, and so you know, as you know, the toes are preparing to take off, you know, then um, you know, the sensations increasingly become you know, more you know, lightness, and so, you know, then finally, you know, we're airborne. And so, and then as you're lifting, you know, the foot know, you know the different sensations. Maybe again some tingling, uh, some heaviness, etc. And then comes the lowering you know, process, as described earlier on. So. One, you know, one more time. So lifting and suddenly so, you then know, lowering and placing. Lifting and lowering. Okay, so um, when we come to the end of you know, the path and we're standing, we again you know, label as standing, and so, you know, then we observe the predominant sensations, we know their nature, and so, you know, then when turning around, you know, you know, there might be first the intention, so the intention to do so, we label this as intending to turn, and then you know, we label as turning, you know, turning, and again turning. And certainly so, you know, one more time turning. Now, in, as for the you know, third form of you know, walking meditation, we divide one step into three parts: so lifting, uh, moving, and placing. And so, you know, the uh, you know, first and third part has been explained already. And the second part is certainly uh, not much new. You know, so lifting process, and then you know, at the beginning of the forward movement, we label as certain you know, gliding or you know, pushing, as you like, and so, you know, then you know, pay attention to 
Now the predominant sensations as the foot suddenly glides forward, and uh, you could, uh, you, know, you might find, especially during the first few days, the you know, this forward movement is actually not that easy. Um, oftentimes, meditators uh, find it difficult to you know, spot uh, you know, certain sensations there. Later on, as mindfulness gets stronger, you know, then this gets easier. So there might be some numbness in the foot, or there might be some tingling sensations, or it may be cold or you know, warm, and you know, then also pay attention to you know, the you know, movement. And you know, then, what about uh, you know, the stability of uh, you know, your you know, your foot and you know, the body? Is it there or you know, not? And you know, then finally, you know, the uh, you know, lowering and uh, placing. So one more time, lifting. And then the forward movement, and then you know, the lowering and certain placing of uh, the foot. And then you know, at the end of the, the path, you know, we you know, label as standing, and certain, you know, then uh, we you know, observe uh, the standing posture. So that's about it for you know, the walking meditation. Yes, I guess that's it. Now, briefly, maybe one or two more you know, points you know, regard or related to you know, mindfulness you know, during general activities. So you know, this is an you know, area where you know, there's much to be explored. And so, you know, once again, you know, try not to underestimate uh, this mindfulness in general activities. And so, you know, we have a tendency of uh, you know, doing certain activities uh, in a rather absent-minded certain manner. And so, uh, as a result of this, uh, we'll be missing you know, so many details and uh, we'll you know, miss chances you know, to you know, develop our mindfulness. And, uh, during the you know, during mind or you know, when it comes to mindfulness of general activities, again, you want to. Do things as slowly as you can, and you will notice in the course of you know, this one month you know, retreat, at first, this you know, mindfulness of general activities will be rather coarse, and later on, as your mental faculties develop and you know, get stronger and stronger, you will be able to pick up so many more you know, details you know, during you know, your you know, mindfulness of you know, general you know, activities. And it can become rather, you know, rather intense and also rather you know, rewarding. And so slowing down you know, general activities is important. And if there's any area that you find you're not really paying attention to, you know, then include you know, this uh, in you know, your practice. So sometimes, you know, it may happen you're taking a shower and suddenly you're, you know, the, you know, the attention is more on, let's say, you know, the mechanical movements of uh, you know, applying soap, etc. 
um, and then instead of you know, this, you know, try to you know, bring you know, mindfulness you know, to this certain you know, activity of you know, you know, taking a shower, you know, you know, going into the shower cell, and certainly you know, then you know, mindfully turning on the water, and certainly you know, then you know, well applying soap, etc., etc. No, and so, you know, then when the water. You know, you know, or flows over you know, the body, then know the different sensations you know, that are involved uh, in you know, this. Now, as for you know, the interview, you know, well, our, you know, today there won't be you know, any interviews. We'll start uh, you know, with regular interviews you know, tomorrow, and so all of you, you know, will be you know, seeing, you know, well, or, or you know, will you know, divide the group you know, into two you know, subgroups, and so, you know, then you know, one half you know, will be you know, seeing Marcia one day, and you know, meet you know, on that same day. And certainly, then you know, the groups will you know, change. Now, maybe the very first thing as a preparation for the interview would be after a good sitting, you might, if you find it necessary, want to write down your meditation experiences. I do recommend this, especially for those who have a somewhat poor memory. And the details really do matter. Now, if you have a perfect computer or memory that is similar to a computer, then you you might not certainly need to write down your experiences. And when you write down your experiences after a good sitting and after a good certain walking meditation, then please do so in a chronological manner. So kind of following the event, major events within one sitting. So starting from your first observation of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, and then you take it from there, then maybe some wandering mind occurred, and then you're back to the rise and fall, and then maybe some pain occurred, and then you're back to rise and fall, and then maybe you're overcome by sleepiness, etc. And then, when for for the for your report during the interview, you may want to stick to just three principles, such as being as accurate as possible and as brief and as precise as possible in your description of what you actually observed. And so the report ideally should consist of one report on on the best on your best sitting meditation, and then also report on your best walking meditation. Now sometimes meditators are not quite sure what is my best sitting or my best walking. Sometimes all the sittings are difficult, and it seems there is no best sitting. So in this case, just take that sit which best reflects the latest development in your practice. And best doesn't necessarily always mean pleasant experiences, it may also mean some very difficult experiences. So if something is really predominant and maybe also occurring quite frequently, then you want to pay attention to it and you want to include it in your report. Now, 
early on you know, when talking about you know, the walking meditation I mentioned you know, you know, three aspects to pay you know, to keep in mind while observing objects namely the occurrence of an object the labeling of it its certain observation and knowing its nature those three aspects you can also you know, use very you know, nicely for or you know, when structuring your you know, report so you say such and such, during the interview you you could say such and such object occurred and then you labeled it certainly in such and such a way or you missed to label an object and and then you observed the object nicely and then this is what you found out about the object now when giving your report there is no need to indulge in very let's say very sophisticated language especially no need to include some well really complicated Pali terms like when observing the rising movement of the abdomen I came to know its anicca nature and suddenly then when the falling was there oh dukkha was so predominant and then the pain was there and anatta was just really very distinct so please none of this is necessary rather than doing this in straightforward, simple English words describe what you observed and what you came to know about the respective objects. Now, um, when you come in for the interview, please certainly keep in mind that the way you walk in there will to some extent reflect what is going on in your meditation practice. So uh, if you come, well, uh, what's the word for it, rushing into the interview area, your meditation teacher uh, might make an educated guess that uh, possibly you're quite agitated and uh, and uh, maybe not all that mindful <laughs> maybe at that moment you forgot to be mindful and uh, so uh, that's already part uh, of uh, the meditation practice now Oh, one you know, practical point, a really practical point, is you know, that you know, since we don't want to you know, waste any unnecessary you know, time, you know, well, you know, the you know, times for you know, the interviews uh, you know, will be scheduled every day, and uh, you know, you be ready for your interview even a few minutes before you know, the scheduled uh, you know, time, and uh, you know, then when you, you know, hear you know, the bell or similar. Sound, then come and uh, uh, come and sit down. And even if the other meditator ahead of you is still uh, reporting, or uh, either Marcia or me is still giving uh, some advice. In this way, we can save some time. Otherwise, the time it takes for, let's say, one meditator to finish his or her report, to get up or to bow down, to get up and get up and, and leave the interview area, and then for the next meditator to come in, bow down and uh, or, or uh, uh, get into, uh, then start reporting.
recording, uh, this can easily take up three, four, five minutes. And if we have to you know, you know, do this with every meditator, then our interviews certainly will go until midnight. Yes. <laughs> And so, um, and there's still other things to be n- n- done. And so, so when you n- n- give f- n- your n- report, n- then just uh, n- n- well n- highlight the n- or n- talk on n- the major n- development in n- your practice. And as mentioned earlier on, you want to n- start n- with a description of your n- rising and falling movement of the abdomen for your sitting n- meditation. And sub- n- then you describe n- the other objects as they occurred uh, in a chronological manner. And if but you know, certain you know, experiences you know, repeat, so, um, and so, you know, you've described uh, a certain experience already once, then there's no need you know, to uh, report on this certain second time or third time. And, so, and then, when it comes to you know, your, um, let me say, when it comes to you know, the interviews in general, especially regular interviews almost every day, these interviews have a tremendously galvanizing effect on you know, one's meditation practice. It is, you know, you know, see, there's a real connection between the interviews and you know, the way you practice. Um, if you know that your next uh, interview is coming up to tomorrow, then you will make a certain, or you will exert some effort in your practice today, and you will observe really carefully so that you will have something to say during the interview tomorrow. Otherwise, you don't you take your practice kind of in an easygoing way, you just sit there, oh, good feeling, great. And that's it, the first sitting was a big success. And then then comes the interview, you go in there and you say, oh, I had a very pleasant sit, and that's all you have to say. Well, there's more to the meditation practice than this. So, um, interviews really galvanize one's practice. You know, one you know, will be observing carefully. Only when one observes carefully will you know, one have you know, some things to write down, and only then, you know, and then you know, with this, uh, one will have uh, some points to you know, report. Now. Um, Please do see you know, the interviews uh, in a positive uh, way. They are meant to help you in your practice or to support you in your uh, meditation practice. And uh, um, don't see you know, them in a negative way. Don't you know, think that uh, either Marcy or I you know, want to um, well, make life uh, difficult for you. This is not the case at all. And during interviews, a meditator will report his or her findings, and then the teachers will listen very carefully. And based on what has been said, then some advice will be given, some encouragement will be given if necessary. If there are certain mistakes in the way of practice, these will be pointed out for your benefit. And so then, if really necessary on very rare occasions, 
questions and a meditator is just not getting the point, then we might say, please, you know, or then we might be a little bit firmer and say, oh, please don't do like this and uh, oh, no, no, practice certainly slightly differently. And so, you know, any advice certainly given, please certainly don't certainly take it uh, take it as an offense, but certainly rather take it in a you know, spirit of uh, uh, well, wanting to support your practice. Now. During the initial first few days of a retreat, meditators tend to experience a couple of common difficulties, and among those are what? By me? The hindrances, yes, and what else? Sleepiness. Yes, okay, correct, and what else? Restlessness, yes. Doubt, yes, and uh, your mind will be very still, the mind will be wandering plenty. There you go. And, you know, and on top of this, uh, you know, will you be having really pleasant, comfortable, pain free sits all the time? Uh, not. So, on occasion, some pains will uh, arise, and certainly, so uh, you will just have to be uh, patient uh, uh, with those. And gradually, you know, things will get easier. Now, based on all these initial you know, difficulties, what certainly uh, may ar- uh, arise is a certain discouragement. Discouragement with these pains and aches, discouragement you know, with the difficult mental states, and you think, my goodness, why did I come here? I really made a big mistake. And now I'm here, now I'm stuck, and uh, uh, now what to do? And so, don't get in, don't get once once again, as mentioned early on, don't get lost in the content of your thoughts and certainly just know, oh, mental or discouragement has a reason in the mind. Take the discouragement as an object, label it accordingly, observe it in a detached, in a non reactive manner, and know its nature. And sooner or later, the discouragement will do what? It will disappear. So just remember this. And then you'll be okay. And so that is that. And then in general, a general attitude towards the meditation practice, namely try to observe uh, as much as possible your predominant objects of observation with a calm and detached attitude. And observe objects with a mind that is relaxed and yet at the same time that is alert. No? And so, so you don't want to get tensed up because of your meditation experiences. There's no need for this. And so, you know, experience with meditators over many you know, years you know, shows you know, that so, you know, the best way you know, to you know, proceed in one's Satipatthana meditation practice is really you know, by you know, staying you know, relaxed and so, um, keeping up you know, that alertness of uh, the mind. Now, um, a few, to end with a few notes of, uh, uh, or you know, few precautions, just for you to know and certainly to keep in mind. 
uh, like everything, you know, we need to observe everything in, in, in life. You know, we need to observe certain you know, limitations, certain restrictions, and certain, so this certain very much also applies to you know, the meditation practice. Now, some retreatants or some part, you know, practitioners you know, on retreat do not drink enough liquids and certain, you know, therefore get dehydrated, especially you know, up here uh, in this uh, rather dry country in New Mexico. And so, please do ensure that your daily intake of liquids is uh, around how many liters? So three to four liters or so? Six, eight glasses a day. Oh, you could be could easily be even more than this. Well, it depends on how you know how big the glasses are. I don't know. So, drink. Please drink plenty and so, you know, plenty every you know, every day. Then. Some you know, retreatants with regard to, to food eat very little or you know, what they do is they eat, at first they start, you know, start out eating normally and then they eat less and less or even you know, start to fast. And this is something you don't want to do on an intensive retreat you know, since you know, food provides you know, the body you know, with nutrition and certain you know, only then will you have energy to practice. And so then, as number three, some retreatants allowed to be constipated for three or more days. Please tackle constipation soon by taking natural laxatives or by doing exercises that induce a bowel movement. If you have any difficulties in this regard, please talk to Chris or Marcia or myself, and I think we'll probably find some help for you. And so, and then being constipated on a retreat will you know, lead to what? Discomfort. Yes, uh, discomfort, physical as well as mental. And uh, this will help your meditation practice or not? Uh, not at all. And, uh, and then, in the course of an intensive meditation retreat, the need for a night's sleep will fluctuate, sometimes lessening, sometimes increasing. It is not recommended to deliberately deprive oneself of sleep or to willfully practice through the whole night. Now, we need to distinguish two situations here. One is that a person through willpower says, okay, now let's say, you know, sits down, um, maybe at, certain, for, at the beginning of the last sit of the day, and then you know, decides to sit in full lotus posture through the whole night until you know, the morning of the next day, until breakfast. You think this would be a really good idea? really bright, brilliant idea, it's not. So if it's done by willpower, it's obviously not the right thing to do. But 
Sometimes, on certain occasions, the practice is going quite strong, and so it's easy to practice a little bit longer than what the schedule calls for. In this case, okay, follow the natural development and maybe do another half an hour sit or so, or an hourly sit, and then by that time, if you feel tired, then it's time to rest. So sleep uh, is certainly uh, important. Now to let me see some retreatants push through excruciating levels of pain. Now, should a pain become excruciating, please feel free to change your setting posture slowly and mindfully and don't overdo this. There is no need to kind of adopt this so-called, let's say, militaristic attitude towards your pains. Like, you under all circumstances, you need to win uh, against uh, a pain. But rather, you know, take a balanced approach, and uh, at times the pain may be really you know, quite, uh, you know, quite you know, excruciating, then you know, do you know, change your posture, and uh, you know, then you know, try again. And at other times it may happen that your mindfulness and concentration is so strong you know, that the pain gradually, you know, while observing it, you know, will subside by itself. Now, some uh, retreatants wrongly assume that thoughts should not arise during Vipassana meditation. This is a wrong assumption. Instead, thoughts should be included as objects of observation. And uh, once you bring mindfulness to you know, the thinking or to the wandering mind, it, uh, you know, strictly speaking, does not qualify as wandering mind anymore. Because mindfulness is certainly there. Now, what else? To some new retreatants, it may seem very difficult to sit for the full hour. Kindly sit according to your ability. And so, let's say, if you feel you need to you know, stretch you know, uh, a leg or two, okay, please do so you know, slowly and mindfully, and without disturbing you know, the other meditators. Now, you know, over time, within a couple of days, you know, the body you know, will get you know, more flexible, especially your muscles, and so, you know, then with this, you, know, you will find you know, that so, you know, you'll be able to you know, sit for longer. So maybe during you know, your first day, you manage uh, you know, to sit for 45 minutes, and so, you know, then gradually the body loosens up more and more, and so, you know, then gradually you notice, oh, now I can even sit for 50 minutes, and so, you know, then. You know, some you know, time later, you find you can sit even for you know, the full hour. So go according to the natural you know, development, and don't think that you need to impress uh, you know, uh, others. Now. Some retreatants unnecessarily put excessive pressure on themselves by entertaining high expectations in terms of attaining the Dhamma or 
before by competing with fellow meditators. So thinking like, yeah, well, um, yeah, during this retreat, really I have to attain Nibbana, and so, yeah, so yeah, then they start counting, today's uh, yeah, day one, and so, yeah, by the time the day ends, oh, Nibbana hasn't been attained. No, no, on day one, my goodness, am I going to make it uh, during the remaining 27 days? And with this, your pressure increases day by day, and so, yeah, in the end uh, you will yeah, be yeah, like uh, maybe a potato in a pressure cooker. And so, you know, this is uh, not that pleasant, I assume. And so, also, there's no, no, living in in a highly you know, competitive, worldly society. You know, people are very competitive. It already starts at high school, and you know, this sense of competition then gets brought into. Well, into a meditation retreat. And even though meditators don't talk to each other, they still compete with each other. And so you know, then they see someone else sitting for two or three hours, and uh, you know, one oneself can sit only for, let's say, 45 minutes, and one gets totally depressed over you know, this. There's no need for you know, this at all. You don't know where you know, the other meditator is at. You don't know how many years of, how many decades of practice this other you know, person has already done. So please take it easy in that sense. And so have entertaining high expectations. This is counterproductive. Instead, take an expectation or a thought of competition as an object, label it, observe it, and know its nature. Some retreatants try to exercise complete control over unwanted states of mind, which of course is not very realistic. And so, so try to observe those unwanted states of mind you know, with an allowing attitude. Um, and among you know, these uh, you know, unwanted states of mind, we have things like what? Anger, excessive anger, yes, and Hmm? Fear? Greed. Oh, greed, yes. And then what about uh, no, no worries or no fear or no, hmm? anxiety? There you go. Getting into too much joy. Oh, getting into too much joy. Yes, this indeed at times may also be a problem. I don't know. So, should any of you know, those or others, uh, other you know, um, mental states arise, you know, then try not to you know, control them, you know, but you know, rather you know, just you know, take them as objects of observation and uh, with a detached, calm and non-reactive you know, mind observe you know, those certain you know, states. Or if uh, a difficult mental state gets too, just too much, you know, then you, know, you might certainly you know, Want to do the following, namely, you simply focus your attention on some bodily phenomenon, ideally on some pain, and uh, you know, then the mind will be you know, uh, much more occupied with this physical object, and uh, you know, this then will gradually you know, lead to a reduction of that earlier uh, mental state. So, some meditators or some practitioners push the mind far too hard into states of extreme fear 
fear, worry, self-judgment, guilt, and Satnya the like. And Satnya, this is not necessary. Please try to practice in a balanced manner. And Satnya, should you be experiencing extreme levels of fear, depression, anxiety, elation, hyperactivity, etc., then kindly inform your teachers without certain delay. So these are just certain precaution, uh, precautions that uh, are wise certain to uh, keep in mind. And then, observe objects with a calm and detached, relaxed attitude. This we have already. And then, uh, as a last point, in the course of Satipatthana meditation, many different experiences may take place. Each person will experience the practice in a different way. It is important not to develop any expectations as to the way the practice should, should unfold based on previous theoretical knowledge, others' experience, or one's own former practice. The whole range of human experiences can come up during one's practice and any object, no matter what it is, is a great field for observation and a chance to learn and gain wisdom from it. So, um, in, to summarize all these different uh, points here in uh, just uh, maybe two, three words, it's uh, balanced practice. Please uh, stay away from any kind of uh, excessive practice, excessive attitude uh, to uh, the meditation practice, and then uh, you should be quite okay. Now, let me conclude our uh, morning session by uh, wishing may may all of you be um, may all of you be in a good position to apply the many instructions that have been given last night as well as this morning and then may the instructions help you to observe the predominant objects in a clear cut in a rather distinct manner and may this then contribute to the arising of much intuitive wisdom and eventually may it lead you to the experience of the peace and coolness of Nibbana. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.